Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now what a weekend it was at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Spurs beating Man City 1-0 and Harry Kane becoming the club's all-time top scorer. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, now that wasn't a bad 90 minutes. Very, very good indeed. Probably Spurs' best performance of the season for me. A uh, good weekend overall. Your team ver- did very well as well. Um, so, yeah, lots of happy faces around. Maybe, well, I was about to say maybe not among Arsenal fans, but then obviously Spurs kind of did them a favour anyway. So, probably just City that have missed out here. But, yeah, terrific um, weekend. And one of those where we've said it before, but we get to kind of be very privileged in the access we get, the matches we get to see and the moments we get to share with others. And this felt like one of those seeing Harry Kane kind of reaching this landmark and everyone celebrating with him and after a terrific game of Premier League football as well to boot. It just felt a real privilege to be there. So yeah, loads to talk about from this game. Honestly, there's so many little subplots around Harry Kane as well and that various players so, yeah, let's dive into that. Now, there's only one man to uh, start the podcast with, and that is Harry Kane, the man of the hour after becoming the club's all-time top scorer. He's now on 267 goals. It's one we've been waiting uh, a few weeks for. I think a few of us probably thought he would have got the record at Preston uh, a week ago in the FA Cup, but he was a he was a unused substitute on that occasion. And it only took him 15 minutes on Sunday against Man City. Really good finish. Not the cleanest of hits from him, but the all count in the end. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's, it's one of those he'll always remember because of the occasion, but wasn't probably his cleanest hit of a football ever. But as he explained later on, mainly he was just trying to hit the ball early and use Edison's momentum against him. He was already heading in the wrong direction, so he knew if he hit it across him, however the connection, it was probably going to go in, and that's exactly what it proved. So, yeah, it it was a a terrific um, night for Harry Kane. He waited until the perfect occasion, really. Let's be honest. If you're going to score a record goal, do it in front of (laughs) 61,747 supporters, most of which are singing your name. Um, obviously it had all been pre-planned by the club. You had the big screens having his name and saying all-time top goal scorer on them. Um, and it's just ridiculous what he's done. When you really look at the numbers, you know, 267 goals, but he's done it in only 316 matches for Spurs. That's just ridiculous numbers. It really is. I mean, it took him took 53 years for someone to beat Jimmy Greaves' record. And I think a lot of people in the club thought it may, maybe never would be done. Um, and then along came Harry Kane. And I just thought it was so lovely, the moment on the pitch afterwards, which we didn't know was going to happen. I think a lot of the fans didn't realise was going to happen because they were starting to kind of leave the stadium. And I think some of them had to turn around and come back. Was this really nice conversation on the pitch with Paul Coit um, and... The team just hung around. Normally, we see them if there's um, an interview to be done on the pitch. Most of them just head off down the tunnel into the changing room. But in this case, they all just wanted to be there. They all wanted to feel this moment of history. Um, and it was just lovely because there was a little break in the interview when, and suddenly they all mobbed him. Hugo Lloris. Like, Hugo Lloris, the most calm, kind of composed character you'll find. And he was the first one to leap on him. 
Um, and he kind of had to break away in order to be respectful because they were showing a really lovely video of Danny Greaves, Jimmy Greaves' son, talking about, um, well, his dad, really, and and the fact that he told him and the family that if there was anyone he wanted to beat his record one day, it was Harry Kane, and it was lovely. And we could see on our little uh, desktop monitors that we have in the press box, real close up on Kane, he looked like he was getting quite emotional. He looked like it was starting to sink in a little bit what he just achieved. And, you know, when you're standing there, I think Coity was asking him a question. It was a moment when he had to pause and couldn't start because the whole stadium was singing his name. To have that, you know, I know you scored an incredible goal at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but unfortunately <laughs> there was no crowd there to sing your name. But I'd imagine, you know, to be able to have that, it just must be the most incredible kind of just confirmation of everything you've worked so hard in your life for. Because, you know, Harry Kane has, he's sacrificed so much uh, in his life to just put the work in, put the hours in to become one of the best strikers in the world. And just to have broken that record and have the crowd singing his name, I just thought it was such a wonderful moment. It was it was absolutely fitting. Um, and just the goals he scored is just incredible. 200th Premier League goal as well, that was. 304 games he's done that in. It's only Rooney and Shearer now to, to catch. They're, they're the three in the 200 club. And just a little bit of context for anyone thinking about it. Harry Kane has scored more Premier League goals than Barnsley, Swindon, Huddersfield and Cardiff combined, which is ridiculous. When you're scoring more than clubs in combined, oh, it's just absolute madness. And just this season alone, 17 Premier League goals in 22 games. I think, you know, the whole Haaland comparison has, has really kind of overshadowed just what a good season Kane is having in front of goal again. And I must admit, I love the fact that afterwards... He got all the emotion aside, <clears throat> excuse me, and he just kind of just decided, now nah, I'm going to have a pop at the people that have <laughs> kind of criticised me. And he did a, um, a little kind of one season wonder Instagram post. But then on TikTok, um, he did, um, he was like playing a little violin to music, <laughs> essentially to all of those who thought it was a one season wonder. Look, I'm absolutely in there for the pettiness. I love it. If you've done it, why not? The absolute stick that man gets from rival fans who, let's be honest, they're just riled up because he scores so many goals against them. That's all it is. Um, and just on top of that, really, to just kind of finish my thoughts on that, it's just it was billed as Haaland versus Kane. And I just felt that that made it even more of a fitting game to do it in because Haaland is an incredible player. Was he 22 years old? He's got so much more to come, yet he's doing so much right now. But I would say that this game was, again, the perfect demonstration of, of uh, just this little phrase that I keep hearing out there now. Probably not something that City fans are ever going to say, but certainly among Spurs fans and some non-Spurs fans. And it's that Harry Kane can do everything that Erling Haaland can do, but Erling Haaland can't do everything that Harry Kane can do. And I think it's true. And that's not to say that at 22 years old, Erling Haaland isn't going to add all this to his game, you know, because I don't think Harry Kane, I think Harry Kane in the last few years has really developed the all-round game. Um, and obviously he'll be, what, 30 in the summer. Oh my God, where, where's that time gone? Um, and I just thought this game absolutely showcased that. You know, poor old Erling Haaland, 
he continued City's nightmare at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. If it wasn't bad enough for the team not scoring a single goal at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in there, was it five visits there? Haaland has then not had a single shot on goal, despite being, you know, the the overwhelming top goal scorer in the Premier League right now. And I think some of the stats seem to suggest he didn't even have a touch in the Spurs box. Whereas on the other side, Kane, everything went through Kane. Everything. He holds the ball up. He sprays the ball out to the fence. He's a bit like almost Haaland and De Bruyne put together, if you're going to talk about City players. But he'll also drop deep. I saw him a few times, or we saw him coming back to be like a centre-back at times, just to help out. He is just, honestly, I came in after the match last night, and funnily enough, my wife was asking me about the game and, and Kane. And I said, he's the best Tottenham player I've ever seen. And she was like, what? Like better than Gaza and, and Ginola and people like that over the years and Hoddle. And I said, I think he is. I think he has to be. You could argue that maybe there's people out there that are more skillful and are, are be able to do different things to Kane. But I think nobody beats the overall package that Harry Kane is. He's just a remarkable player. And the fact that he's now the record goal scorer as well, I think he is. I think he has to be seen as... I think he has to be seen as the greatest player Spurs have ever had. I know there'll be purists out there, and I completely understand that we'll say, yeah, but there's other players, the Danny Blanche Flowers, the Bill, uh, Dave McKay's um, in the past that have, have, have won the trophies. They've won the, the league title. You know, They've won European um, trophies as well. But I just think if you're looking at, as a, at a player, a contribution to the club and everything that they've got about them, I think for me, it's Harry Kane. I really do. Yeah, uh, I think quite a lot of Tottenham fans will probably uh, agree with you on that sentiment. It was just brilliant yesterday, just watching him score and the celebrations with, you know, all the Tottenham team running towards him, bar Hugo Lloris, the, the scenes after the game, then in the changing room as well, when Kane went in, uh, I think he's put a video on social media of him, you know, all the other players congratulating him and there's uh, you know footage of his phone call as well with Antonio Conte who was in Italy yesterday watching the game following you know his surgery on, on Wednesday and he congratulated him it was just you know it was just a historical day really and it's just really really nice you know to see all the accolades coming his way all the praise it's, it's fully deserved as well and as you were saying, now on 200 Premier League goals, only Wayne Rooney and Alan Shearer ahead of him. You'd think he will surpass Rooney's 208 goals this season. And then 260 is Alan Shearer's number. And that's definitely his next target. And I think that's one he will certainly uh, achieve because, you know, he just guarantees goals. He's been superb uh, this season, even... After the fallout from the World Cup, you know, that penalty miss, his form could have maybe gone the other way, but no, he just carried on scoring and it's such such a pleasure, you know, to watch him week in, week out. And I think all Tottenham fans can certainly uh, agree with that. They're very, very lucky to have a player of Harry Kane's quality uh, at the club. So 267 goals, there's a number of brilliant ones to pick. The standout ones for you? Oh, probably, I think it has to be the cutting inside, curling, finish against Arsenal with the face mask ripping off moment. That was very, very, very good. 
Um, there was was it the second goal against Chelsea when they was it in the five was it five two? I seem to I just feel in the back of my mind. I remember this wonderful goal he scored against them. Pretty sure that that I've always had in my top kind of ones. And do you know what? There's one that maybe won't be on most people's lists. But again, talking about being privileged to see Harry Kane in action, I was probably one of the few Englishmen, um, or not many, a group of like a small group of Englishmen out in Singapore in 2019. Only a friendly, absolutely understand that. But watching him pick up the ball and just after the halfway line execute the most perfect lob over, I think it was Chesney as well in the Juventus goal. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, to have seen that live and in the flesh, it's it's up there with one of the best goals I've ever seen. Um, and yes, it wasn't a competitive game, but it just, I, I think for everything it was, the, it represented the skill that Kane's got, the vision, the awareness, and also how much happiness it brought to the Tottenham fans in Singapore as well. You know, we often forget these people that have to watch most of the matches on a TV screen. Um, and so to bring that to them in the flesh was just incredible. So, yeah, I think they're the three that would probably put up there. I do lo- I love the header against Arsenal in his first North London derby. That was a terrific goal as well. Um, he, I mean, he scored so many fans. I feel like I remember a really good one, at, like at Huddersfield. I remember a fantastic goal. I think it was maybe a hat-trick goal as well. Um it, it's just ridiculous. When you talk about 267 goals, it's just like there's so many to choose from because he's – that was the other thing my, my wife said as well. She was like, but you used to love Gary Lineker as a kid. Is he better than Gary Lineker? And I was like, yes. And, you know, as much as Gary was like, was my hero as a kid and then Teddy Sheringham was, Gary Lineker was a, fo- a classic fox in the box. He would score goals in and around the area. I remember like the one goal, I think I remember him scoring outside the box, was was one against Man U from about 30 yards. Harry Kane can score from anywhere. He can score with either foot. He can score with his head. He can just as easily play an incredible Perlo-esque through ball to someone as he can send a ball into the top corner. Um, he's phenomenal. And I think we're very lucky to have kind of see him week in, week out in the job we do. And I think Spurs are very lucky to have him week in, week out. I know you should always think that no player is bigger than a club. And I, and I, I agree with that. But I do think Spurs have been very, very lucky to have someone like Harry Kane. And they've got to do everything in their power to help that man win trophies now. They really do. Yeah, uh, I agree with you on the standout goal of Kane's Tottenham career. I think it's definitely that one in the North London derby. Obviously, starting with Deli Alley's flick in the corner of the pitch to get it to Kane, you know, just to cut inside and kill it in from that angle was, you know, absolutely sublime finish. A uh, couple of other standout ones. The two goals he scored against Chelsea in that 5 3. Uh, the first one, I think cut inside and then a low shot into the bottom corner from distance and then the second one was when he rolled the defender and then just you know killed it into the bottom corner and that was that was at a time when obviously Kane was just becoming established as Maurizio Pochettino's main striker in the team probably a bit of a coming of age moment as well because I think there was still Mm. some question marks over him whether he you know could be the club's you know, leading front man uh, going forward over the coming years. And 
I think he himself has basically said that was such an important game as well in his career. I'd probably also pick one from last season and it's the goal at Man City. Not the header. I'd go for his first one. I thought that was such a good finish. Such a hard finish as well. What he made looked so easy that with Son's cross yeah. uh, from the left and then Kane on the half volley just nonchalantly putting it into the top corner. He's just got a range of different finishing in his locker. He really kind of hit a, a perfect note there. And I think that's why many other fans maybe don't appreciate him. He makes the difficult look easy. And I don't think they appreciate just what he's done in that moment. No, I mean, just have a look back at the 267 goals. I think Tottenham have that on the website and, you know, the social media channels at the moment. There's just a, a number of different goals, one from outside the area, you know, close range finishes, curling efforts. He just has it all in his locker. Just Tottenham, just so, so lucky to have him at the club. They really are. And he costs them nothing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Right, shall we discuss as well, obviously, Kane's goal. I think we need to discuss the goal and the build-up as well because I think there was one player who was instrumental to that and that was Pierre-Emile Hoibierg, uh setting up Kane. Very similar to the goal at the Etihad just over two weeks ago when Dane Kulosevsky scored, obviously, it was Rodrigo Bentenker then, uh, Robin Rodri on the edge of the area. And that's what Hoibjerg did. Didn't give Rico Lewis any time on the ball. Managed to come away with it. And then it did look like he was off balance. So he did really, really well, you know, to guide it into the path of Kane. And, you know, who expertly finished uh, into the bottom corner. It was a really, really good showing from Hoibjerg. But, I mean, you can look across the whole team. There was a number of standout players yesterday. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of those where if you're only going to look at a possession, then I think people are going to look at that game and go, oh, it was a classic. You know, Spurs taking on the big team, sat back, all of this sort of stuff. And yeah, if you're only going to look at the possession, then you'll see 36% Spurs had to, to City 64. But it was a match that, that doesn't tell the tale of the match. Spurs had 12 shots at goal. And yes, City had 15. But come on. If you can even think, I can't think of one, other than Morris hitting the crossbar, I can't think of one shot that seriously would have tested Lloris or did test Lloris. Whereas I'd say Edison had a fair few, he was flinging himself around, trying to push him aside, um, came out to deny Kane in a 1v1 as well. Honestly, it doesn't tell the tale of the game at all. I think Spurs were the better team. I think they deserved the result. I think City they made City look like City look at their worst as a team that has lots of possession without any penetration whatsoever. Um, and and you know, like we've said, this is a very good City team. Um, they just played with a lot of experienced Spurs. They looked like the more experienced team. They looked like one that were used to these big games. Whereas the irony is, 
it's the first win against the top six side this season for Spurs. Um, and Hoybier, yes. Like Hoybier was really kind of, <laughs> well, quite literally in the centre of it all. Um, <laughs> Guardiola, afterwards in his press conference, he t- kept talking about interruptions in the game. <laughs> if interruptions had a name, it would be Pierre-Emile Hoybier. <laughs> he was an absolute pain in the backside to City all night. Um, it's one of those classic kind of performances or one of those players that all the top teams have players like this, but they absolutely hate to play against players like that. Everyone does because it disrupts your rhythm. It fragments the game. Um, but, you know, it's not to say that he doesn't have his merits in every other sense as well. So, like you say, the, the goal was was a lovely bit of pressing, uh, a really nice touch just before he tackled. He's, like, clattered as well as he touched the ball off. Um, but also just his defensive work was superb as well. He was everywhere. I, I, I would actually put that up there with it. And he's had, he's had a fair few very good performances during his Tottenham time, but I'd put that up there in the absolute top draw kind of bracket um, of his performances. And yeah, but I mean, the dark arts, you know, Pierre-Emile Hoybier is a purveyor of the dark arts. Those dark arts that uh, Poch, Mourinho, Conte have all called for, he is the poster boy for it. Um, I mean, <laughs> the bit that had us chuckling was when Kane, uh, there's a... A free kick. I can't remember who took the free kick now. Probably it was De it was De Bruyne. Yeah, yeah, it was. De Bruyne smacked it into the wall. The ball hit Harry Kane and deflected off him with the most glancing touch against Hoybier, who fell to the floor like he'd been punched by a heavyweight. Anyone that's seen the film Platoon, where um, Willem Dafoe's, I think, Sergeant Elias, like. I won't give it away, but there's a moment where he flings his arms up in the air as he falls to the floor. And this was very much Hoybier's kind of moment to do exactly that because he knows as he's clutching his face afterwards that the referee has to stop the game in case there's been a serious head injury or a concussion or anything. And lo and behold, as he does most of the times these things happen, he like ruefully kind of oh shakes his head or he limps for about two seconds and then up he is straight back into the game throwing himself at everyone. Um, and it was, yeah, he was, he was brilliant. He was so, so good. Um, and you need a player like that. And I feel like back in the day, Spurs used to always be crying out for like a midfield general. Um, and that's exactly what they have in Hoybier. Sorry to go back to the platoon analogy there, but, um, and I just, I think you and I have always grumbled a bit about this. I never think he gets the credit he deserves from Spurs fans. There's always talk about upgrading him. There's always talk about, oh, you know, in the dream midfield, he's not in it and all this sort of stuff. I think people just underestimate what an influence he has on the team as well and how important his leadership is, how he sets the tone with a lot of what he does. I mean, Bentancur had a very good game as well. I was looking back at his stats. They were really good defensively. Both his and and Hoybier's defensive stats were, were very similar, but... I just felt, for me, Hoybier was the leader out there. Um, and, of course, you know, in an attacking sense as well, played a big part in the winning goal. So, yeah, it's one of those where, do you know what? I think it was a real night for proving critics wrong. Harry Kane doing so for 
the bulk of like the outside Tottenham fans that have, have criticised him. I thought Hoybier, for those who don't believe he should be in that midfield, a certain Brazilian right wing back that we're going to talk about as well, doing the same. Um, and also the defence. I think there were a lot of people out there. And even, you know, Hugo Lloris, I know he didn't have much to do, but that's now five clean sheets in seven games for the Spurs defence. Obviously, I know Fraser Forster uh, would have had two of those, but still, they've absolutely turned it around from a team that's con- conceded 21 goals in 10 games to have five out of your last seven games with clean sheets. That's That's great work. That's exactly what you need. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, the Premier League table makes for better reading uh, today after that win, especially with Newcastle's dropping points. We'll go a bit more into the top four race in a bit, but I think there's also something else we need to talk about from yesterday's game. Another moment of history other than Kane's goal, and that was Emerson Royale getting 10 out of 10 (laughs) in the Football.London play ratings. I wondered where you were going with that. I was thinking, what moment of history did I miss? No, Emerson Royale, extremely good yesterday. Best performance in the Tottenham shirt, bar none, you know. (laughs) Honestly, so, so good. Uh, Really, you know, frustrated Jack Grealish throughout the game. Those two had such a battle uh, between themselves. You know, they were fouling each other a couple of times. I think there was one moment when... I think it was Ben Davis on the ground receiving treatment and Emerson and Jack Grealish were having a word with each other. And that literally came a minute after Grealish had fouled Emerson. And then two minutes later, Emerson just decided to dive in on Grealish outside the area, timed it all wrong, gave away a free kick. But no, he recovered after that. He was so good defensively. And I think what probably summed it up was that pinpoint, you know, sly tackle on Grealish in the final five minutes in the box, that could have gone so wrong. But, you know, uh, he got it got it right and Tottenham got a goal kick. And it wasn't just the defensive aspects of his game where he impressed as well. Impressed going forward. And I think that was clear within the first five minutes. I think, not mentioned it yet, but I think Son really set the tone for the Tottenham performance yesterday with that really good run from the edge of his own area inside the first two minutes. And that really lifted... The crowd and Emerson had a good run down the right. I think it was up against Rico Lewis. Didn't manage to get the crossing, but the intent was there. And yeah, he was so good in an attacking aspect. Put in a really good ball for Harry Kane as well in the second half, who, you know, uncharacteristically slashed at that effort. But all in all, Emerson Royale's best game in the Tottenham shirt, deservedly getting man of the match. And I doubt that any Tottenham fans can disagree with that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He he was fantastic. <laughs> he was so, so good. Um yeah, I think yeah, him he and Grealish having that battle. It reminded me of when you see in basketball of two players coming up against each other constantly and there's banter, there's a little bit of sniping at each other, there's this constant kind of back and forth at each other. And that was what it felt like. Two players that knew the, the bulk of the game was going to be about a duel between them. And like you say about the fouls, uh, Emerson and, and Grealish were the two most fouled players on the pitch. Emerson five times he was fouled and Grealish seven. Um, Emerson was excellent. I love the timing of it. I just thought the timing was incredible because obviously he's out, like he's seen off um, Matt Doherty and Jed Spence. 
They've headed off in a January window, but he's seen Pedro Porro come in, and obviously a 40 million right wing back. Everyone's desperate to see him play. I mean, we kind of found out that uh, Pedro Porro has been a little bit, he's had a bit of a bug. He's been a bit under the weather in the last few days. Uh, something about Tottenham, isn't it? You just turn up and you're either injured or ill <laughs> straight away. Um, so although he was okay to be on the bench, yeah, probably. To be honest, I don't think he would have started anyway. I think Conte probably, I mean, you kind of said it in the last podcast, and Conte hasn't had a single training session with him. Um, he's not going to fully trust him yet, despite knowing how good he is. Um, and yeah, I think Emerson has proven in some of the big games, especially against City as well, that he's been very, very capable, especially in defending. Um, but this was a next level stuff. And literally just before we started recording this, he won the Spurs fans man of the match as well. 55% of the vote, which is brilliant. And I just think the timing of doing it all, having Porro there ready to come in, you know, many people just assumed that was naturally going to be a handing over of the position to him. And he absolutely said, no, if you want it, you're going to have to rip this from my hands, this position, which is pretty much what he's been like about his entire time at Tottenham so far, to be honest. Because, um, you know, he had no intention in leaving the club in January. He, he just loves it. And, and this is a man who we must like go back to who was ironically cheered by the entire stadium pretty much in the New Year's Day game against Villa when he was taken off because they just wanted him off the pitch so much. So to have never wavered in his belief that he wants to be a Tottenham player and he can make it as a Tottenham player, it was like the biggest reward and payoff yesterday for him. It was fantastic. And I just saw, I saw after the game, he posted a really simple message on Instagram. This is my team. This is Tottenham. And I just thought that was so perfect. And it just sums him up exactly, which is why it's kind of sad when he gets so much abuse. And, and I should note on his Instagram, you know, I should point out, he's had to restrict replies until the last couple of ones because he's had good performances because the abuse has been so horrible online that he had to restrict it only to people that he follows could reply. Whereas now he's reopened that. And, you know, I saw there's some apologies among those replies. There's certain people that have just been like, okay, Fair enough. That that was that showed what he can do. And look, is he perfect? And, and Christian Stellini's quotes, um, I don't know if I've got him here, but Stellini was talking about, I asked um, Stellini about him and he gave quite a good answer saying he was one of the most important players in the team and and stuff about the balance. And it's important to have different players in the same position with different skills. And I do think that's actually the biggest thing about he and Porro is that you've now got a very different wing back for each occasion. Whereas maybe you could argue that Doherty and Spence perhaps would have been more similar to Porro. Whereas with Emerson, you could argue that if you want a game like this against Man City where you need maybe someone that is really well uh, drilled in defending against these best teams, uh, big teams, you've got um, Emerson Royale. Whereas if you want the attacking option, that's what Pedro Porro will bring you. Um, and hopefully both will um, improve in the other areas. Um, but Stellini told the BBC about Emerson, we've seen him play great games. Against City last season, it was similar. Today, he was a good player. He has to improve in other situations, but today he was perfect. And I think that's the key. We know he's got to improve going forward. We know it. We've said it enough times. 
But at 24, there's no reason why he can't keep continue to try to improve on these things and learn. And, and you know, I think he'll watch Poro. Poro will, albeit a year uh, younger, will be a good person for him to watch in the way to attack. Um, and yeah, I, I do think he's really kind of turned everything around with his own determination. And look, I was up there. I was there. I was one of, you know, very well, I was one of Emerson's critics. Um, I certainly have been. And I don't think I'd have ever envisaged giving him a 10 in our player ratings one day. Um, I think he's got a few nines, to be fair. But I, I, I was kind of, I'm in arm with you. I was like, do you know what? I've given a few nines, but I think he's a man of the match. I think he deserves a 10. And it's you don't often see them given to defensive players. Kind of sometimes you have to score a hat trick or something like that to get a 10. And I just felt, I don't really feel he's put a foot wrong. You know, yeah, Grealish got past him a couple of times, but he's going to do that against every fullback in the league. On that day, Emerson won that battle. You know, Grealish is somewhere in his pocket. You know, obviously those huge thighs, I don't know how to fit in his pocket, but... He, you know, he is definitely was in Emerson's pocket in the end. He won that duel. Um, and like you say, he put in a great cross for Kane that on a, a normal day, Kane would have smashed that home. So I'm delighted for him. He is the happiest character you can find in that Spurs dressing room. They all love him. He absolutely is living the dream. He loves being at the club. And ultimately, why wouldn't you wish the best things for someone is giving everything possible to the the cause, you know, and, and for Spurs fans as well, that this is their team. This is, and he kind of, it almost feels like he's a Spurs fan now. He, he gives everything he has on that pitch. And uh, I think he made his point, you know, to me included. I think a lot of people out there, I think he made his point. Yeah, very much so. Uh, it, it was brilliant yesterday. Really, really good. I know, he has come in for plenty of criticism uh, from people before, but I don't think anyone can, you know, say anything bad about his performance yesterday. It was, you know, superb from the very first minute to the last minute. I think you've always got to remember, you know, he's still quite young, coming to a new country, trying to adapt to a new position, having played as a right back for the whole of his career so far. So obviously it is always going to take the foreign players a bit of time to come into uh, life in the Premier League and fully adapt. Yeah, you do get cases where, you know, they take to it like a duck to horses, such as Rodrigo, Benton, Curran, Dane Kulosevsky, but some players do, you know, need a bit of time to get to grips uh, with it. And Emerson yesterday showed that he's more than capable of being, you know, a good player in this Tottenham team. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Ali. Sometimes it might be a case of, horses for courses and there might be some games where it's Pedro Porro starting against, you know, the more defensive teams and then when you're playing the really good attacking teams such as City, then that's when Emerson uh, can come into the team. So it's really going to be interesting now when we actually see Pedro Porro starting games because can you really drop Emerson after delivering a 10 out of 10 performance? I don't think you can. Uh, so you can either, no. No, so Porro looks like he may have to wait for his chance. And yeah, long may it con- continue uh, for Emerson. It's now three really good showings in the Premier League against City, Fulham and then City again. And yeah, hopefully a lot more to come from him. Right, as we're now at the halfway stage of the pod, Ali, do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? 
Of course, yes. As you may be aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. That's something I've done many times, um, often watching uh, sports, TV shows, movies that I've paid for the the rights to, to kind of watch over here with the various services you sign up for. But for some reason, when you head abroad, they don't let you do that. So the beauty of NordVPN is that you can kind of flip your device to thinking it's back in England and you can watch everything that you've already paid for, which really should be the, the case anyway. Um, and likewise, you can flip it the other way. So you can make your device believe it's in another country while you're here. So you can watch services that maybe are restricted to other countries. Um, and on top of that, it's a very, very safe way to to kind of surf the internet or use the internet in general because it kind of locks everything within your device and stops uh, those naughty types getting in there and trying to take stuff away from you. Um, and not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because, like I say, you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. For example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And also, booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of um, other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. I think it's only right after speaking about Emerson that we, you know, praise the rest of Tottenham's backline because they were superb yesterday. Uh, I think for me, an unsung hero, Eric Dyer. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, again, at the back for Tottenham, uh, you know, limited city to very little. I know you were pointing out that Haaland didn't have a shot on goal in, in the game. What's, you know, unlike him, given how well he started life, in the Premier League, but Dyer, I think they also had a, a role in the goal as well, you know, urging the team to push forward and he was pressing up high, you know, adding an extra body into the middle uh, throughout the game and he produced some very, you know, timely and key blocks. I think most importantly was that one uh, midway through the second half with Julian Alvarez having a shot from the edge of the area, what looked destined for the goal. And Dyer, I don't think he really knew much about it, but the ball hit him on the thigh and, you know, deflected away from the goal. And that really was an important moment because it was actually pointed to me last night. Dyer celebrated that moment. I didn't spot it at the time, but yeah, clenched his fist and, you know, really, really celebrated it. It was a key moment in the game because, you know, the outcome of the match could have been totally different if City had managed to equalise then. And yeah, like Emerson, Dyer has, you know, maybe had his critics this season, had a few defensive lapses, what have led to goals, but he was solid. He was on his game uh, yesterday. Really, really good showing. And the same for Ben Davis as well. I thought the two of them, brilliant, brilliant performance. And the same for Christian Romero before that red card. Uh, I think it was a red card we've probably expected for quite a while because uh, he does seem to play the game on the edge. I don't know what it is with the yellow cards. Maybe is it one of these he needs a yellow card to maybe settle down 
rather than jumping into the challenges because he was so late going in on Haaland in the first half where he did pick up a booking and then yeah uh, it was a booking as well for that foul on Jack Grealish and Romero I don't know he's other than yes he's really got it down to an art form when he's playing on the booking I think he had 15 bookings in his season at Atlanta and he didn't get sent off had 11 bookings for Tottenham last season he was sent off in the, I think he was Vitesse Arnhem game for two yellow cards on the hour mark. But other than that, he usually stays on the pitch, which is quite an achievement given, you know, how he approaches the games. But yeah, in terms of defence, full marks for me, really, really good from them. And, you know, play the key role in Tottenham getting all three points. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Like I said earlier, you know, flipping it around from 21 goals in 10 games to five clean sheets out of the last seven, it's yeah, it, it's testament to the work they're doing on the training ground. I think that big meeting they had where they aired a lot of frustrations and got a lot of things off their chest was a good thing as well. Um, and yeah, I think yesterday, I do think, especially Dion Davies, have a lot of praise that should be coming their way. I don't think it's come a lot their way. I was looking, I've been looking on social media kind of in the aftermath, and I, I think people have kind of Maybe I don't know whether I would want to say conveniently, but certainly Eric Dyer dropped out of their praise. There's other people getting it, and Eric Dyer isn't. I think I wonder whether there's an element of look, we all wanted another centre back to come in, and I think you know, various people out there on social media felt that that Dyer was the one that could be upgraded, and maybe there's now a feeling of well, I don't want to praise him now <laughs> just because he's been you know put in one of his best performances. And but the thing is, is Eric Dyer was putting in performances, a lot of performances like that last season. He was having a terrific season, and I felt this was a real throwback performance to one of those. Um, just as kind of proof that he can do it. He's, I mean, if I'm going to be pedantic, Pete, with that shot, the Alvarez shot that he got thigh to, I think it was going wide. So I think. Looking at the replay, I think it was heading just wide or maybe would have hit the outside of the post. I don't know. But that does not detract from the reactions to get his thigh to it, the togetherness shown in the celebrations afterwards. All the players were like pushing him kind of afterwards in this kind of weird, um, real kind of macho celebration thing. You're kind of half expected to beat their chests as well while they did it. Um, but he was superb. He was so good. Um he was just, I think there's no other word, a colossus. He was. He was like the central kind of pillar in the in the defence, the foundation, as it were. Um, he made two blocks, four clearances, four-headed clearances, recovered the ball five times and won three of his five aerial duels. I stole that from your article. Yeah, he sounded very familiar. He sounded familiar. Yeah, I thought you might recognise it. Um, and like we say, Haaland didn't have a sniff. Every time the ball came towards him, Dye just came out of nowhere and was right there taking the ball off of him. Um, like you say, really aggressive and getting up the pitch as well and, and kind of adding extra numbers to the midfield. He was he was superb. I, I thought I, I really, you know, myself included, I think this is the same with Emerson. It's like Emerson's had a terrific game. I think you have to acknowledge when someone maybe you've criticised in the past plays incredibly well they should get praised as well and I think Eric Dyer really deserves a lot of praise for his performance he was excellent Ben Davies was superb as well Ben Davies mopped up everything when you think about the problems that Spurs had with Mares in the Etihad game I felt like Davies really played a part in clamping down a lot of what he did 
Obviously, he had that shot to hit the crossbar. That was probably the one moment Mario's really got through. I thought Perisic, although he wasn't great, I felt he tightened up a lot of his defensive play. Maybe sacrificed getting forward for that a bit, perhaps. Um, and I thought, but I just thought Ben Davies, honestly, for me, he's right up there with one of the, the most underrated players at Spurs. It's because he's not like a, a sexy named Italian y, Brazilian y type name. He's just literally, he's Ben Davies. He is exactly what he is. He is, you know, the uh, a Welsh international who wears his heart on his sleeve. He's the nicest guy. You and I know this off the pitch. He is the most lovely guy going. He is so nice. You know, he has a bit of a nickname of Gentle Ben uh, among the press, uh, which is a tad ironic because when you see him on the pitch, he's a bit of a, give me a bit of an animal out there. He is one that will go into his flying challenges as much as anyone. Um, and I just think that this reputation has stuck with him ever since, for me, it was a game against Anfield when Sadio Mane gave him a nightmare. Um, he just was, which he'd done to many defenders, I think. Ever since then, it's stuck that he's just kind of this average player. I'm sorry, Ben Davies is not an average player. He gives you a consistent, often seven, eight performances each week. He just does. He's one of those players for me. Um, so, no, I won't, I won't have a bad word said about Ben Davies. I honestly think... There's no shock that every manager he's had has wanted to get him definitely in the squad and mostly in the team. And, you know, again, Clement Longley came in and everyone, oh, he's going to knock Ben Davies out of the team. There you go. Currently, Ben Davies is ahead of Clement Longley. It's just the way it works. He fights and he and he holds his ground. Um, and Romero. Uh, <laughs> Christian <laughs> Romero is just the most frustrating amusing, brilliant player to watch. Um, he just feels the need to hurt people sometimes. I just see it. It's just like he wants to leave a mark on people. He is. I've said it before, but he's like that kid in the in the schoolyard when you were playing football that used to like to kick everyone else's heels. And he doesn't need to. He's brilliant. You saw in that hour between his yellow card and his red card, he was brilliant. We'd, I'd be talking about him in the same breath as Dyron Davies because his intercept. And this is the thing, despite the fact that he was on that yellow, he was making a lot of tackles that were so perfectly timed. They were incredible. And then he'd steam up the pitch to help out as well. There was one, he ran through the middle like Usain Bolt. If only someone had passed, I think it was Sonny made with the ball, if he'd passed it to him, that would have been that. He, he probably would have scored and it would have been game over. But he's just got this reckless, silly side to him. The tackle on Haaland, I think it was in the city half, wasn't it? I'm pretty I, sure. I can't remember. I think it was around the middle. Or halfway uh, line. Yeah, yeah, around the middle of pitch. But I mean, it was just so, so late. But just why? What's he doing there? <laughs> why does he need to steamroller through him? Haaland was practically on the coach, ready to go home. It was that late. It was such a stupid challenge. And as I can't remember who it was, one of the other journalists said, it's the kind of challenge that they do sometimes give reds for. And you probably couldn't hugely, you would have said it was a soft red, but you've seen them given. Um, and if anything, the second card was was probably a bit more unfortunate because I, I do think Grealish knows it's coming and he leaves his kind of leg there to be hit by the leg, by Romero's leg. But you also can't complain about it because he's steaming through and he's absolutely done by Grealish's movement. 
Um, and then he leaves himself, you know, he leaves the team with what, about eight minutes in total with added time as well to then survive without him. Um, and I did think <laughs> he went on Instagram after the game and I had to shove it through the translator um, as my uh, my Spanish isn't that great. And he said, uh, great game from everyone. Impressive win. Let's keep it up, Spurs official. Sorry to leave the team down, man, but it's been a long time since I got one. <laughs> Smiley face, red card. <laughs> it was like, what? The only reason he's able to laugh about it is because Spurs won the game. Had City come back against 10 men, you know, everyone would be raging about how daft he'd been. Um, and, you know, I know you say about he's very good at not getting the red cards, and that was his second one at Spurs. Last one was the Conte's first game against Vitesse. But six yellow cards in his last six games, yeah. if you count the last two. He's just picking them up for like... And he's got, he's lucky that he's like missed the cutoff kind of thing. So you kind of, you know, a load of those got scrubbed out. Um, but it's the final thing for me that is stopping him on this journey to becoming... He's got all the tools to become one of the best centre-backs in the world. And I just feel that this slight kind of switch off, I'm going to try to get this man. It's like, I know the old school pros would be like, oh, you know, he's let him know he's there kind of thing. It's like, no, no, that was like 30 years ago, the game. We're not in that kind of game anymore. If you do that sort of stuff, you, you're done. You're putting yourself, especially with players of the trickery and skill of City, you're leaving yourself so open to getting that second card. Um, you know, Benton Kerr was the best example for me of how to do that properly. Yes, he got an early yellow, 23rd minute, but he managed the rest of the game impeccably. Um, and I thought Romero maybe was going to do it, and then he chucked it all away. And, and now they won't have him against Leicester. You know, that's a failing on his part. He's taken himself out of the squad for the next match. So I'd love to be able to praise him as much as Dyron Davies, but I don't think he deserves it. And that's because of that. Yeah. I genuinely do think he needs a yellow card just to settle himself down. He's got well, to. Well, just in the changing room before. Maybe they give him like a fake one. Before they <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the way he just throws himself in to challenges, but then when he's on a yellow, he just seems to be a lot more calm and composed than he was after that first yellow up until he, he fouled Grealish. But as you said, that means he's out of uh, the Leicester game. And, you know, at least... It is a one-match ban rather than a three-match ban, as it would if it was a straight red card. So that gives Antonio Conte and Christian Stellini uh, a decision to make ahead of Saturday's game at the King Power Stadium. We will discuss that uh, shortly. But on the subject of Stellini, uh, obviously we found out a couple of hours before the game yesterday that Antonio Conte wouldn't uh, be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He was remaining in Italy uh, whilst he recovers from that gallbladder surgery that he had on Wednesday. And even though Conte wasn't there, it was very much like it was on the touchline uh, because Stellini was certainly animated, you know, shouting at the players constantly, having a pop as well at the fourth official, you know, contesting uh, decisions what went against Tottenham in uh, it was very much, like I said, just like Conte being there, even though he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Stellini was, I don't know, it was just that's the way he is when he's in charge. I don't think I've seen him that animated before or whether he was just trying to replicate what Conte brings just so it, it was more natural for the players. But 
honestly, huge credit to Christian Stellini this week and Ryan Mason as well. I think that both of them have had to really step up and take things on in Conte's absence. Spurs have had a lot thrown at them this season. You know, we can be a little bit glib sometimes and blasé about Spurs performances and kind of, yeah, we'll just, you know, get on with it. But when you look at everything that's been chucked at them this season, obviously not not least the death of Giampiero Ventroni, who was such an integral part of everything. But obviously now Antonio Conte, you know, essentially having a really, really bad time and needing this operation um, and being out of the country and his assistants having to really kind of take things on. I think Stellini deserves massive praise. Do you know what? He must be loving life as a as a manager, as it were, because that's five games he's won now. He's won every game he's stepped in for Conte. Three at Inter. I think it was one, two in the season they won the title, one in the season before it. Um, and obviously he's come in and he's had the dramatic win at Marseille, hasn't he? <laughs> when yeah, they've done that yeah. under his... Uh, his charge. Now they've won a massive game against City. You know, I wonder if there might be some people saying, oh, Antonio, it's all right. Let's have a little bit more time. Take your time. Kind of thing. Because Stellini is, he's really, really stepped up. Um, and actually, thinking about it, Harry Kane in that phone call, you heard him saying, so we'll see you Wednesday. And you can hear Sonny in the background going, two days off, two days <laughs> off. Um, so yeah, maybe the players are thinking, Let, let's give the, the taskmaster a little bit more time, as it were. But no, fair play to Stellini and Mason. I think Mason has got a real respect from the players for what he did. Uh, you know, I keep having to repeat this. As a 29-year-old caretaker manager, I think people forget just how young he is and was then. Um, and I think, from what I can understand, these like, really experienced Italian coaches that have come in have been really impressed with Mason. They can see that this guy is going to be a manager. He really is. Um you know, and his training sessions are really kind of impress everyone. And Stellini, I think the important link with Conte is, of course, he's known him for so long. Conte is really interesting when it comes to his coaches in that he shares with them most of the information, but then at the last minute will come out with some specifics that only he kind of knows and wants. I find it fascinating. It's like he has to hold this little bit back. So they had to kind of run through that on Sunday morning. I think he had a phone call with Stellini and the coaches and they went through these final little bits of info that he wanted. Um, and Stellini just, he knows him so well. He just carries it out to the letter. Um, and yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely to see him kind of getting this, uh, the moment, I guess, afterwards to then talk about it and, and hopefully take a little bit of the praise from people outside the two of us as well. Um yeah, it's lovely. It was really good. And, uh, yeah, we shall see. I'd imagine, because, I mean, the fact that there had to be a decision made on Saturday night over whether Conte returned suggests he'll be back for the Leicester game. You'd think if he was a, like an almost a close call-ish to maybe be there for this game, then perhaps you'd think with a, what is it, six days between the games that he might be back for that one. Um but yeah, no, fair play to Stellini, fair play to Mason. And yeah, like I say, it all kind of bodes well looking forward now. Yeah, it very much does. If we go back to last February, it was really up and down at the start. But then Spurs, you know, really laid down a bit of a marker for the running with that brilliant win away at uh, Man City. 
yes, there was the Burnley defeat after that, but then they turned it on at Leeds and won 4 0. So you're thinking now February is going to be a tough month. Uh, Leicester away up next, AC Milan away in the Champions League, and then two London derbies with West Ham and Chelsea coming to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But I think as Harry Kane said in the mix zone when we were speaking to him after the game that, you know, Tottenham have set the standards now. They've laid down the market. This is what they need to be doing in every game going forward. Ensure those levels don't drop. And if you're looking at the Premier League table now, it makes for a lot better reading. Obviously, Newcastle dropped points at the weekend following the 1-1 draw with West Ham. Spurs uh, still in fifth, one point behind Newcastle now. Three points behind Manchester United, who I believe have a game during the week against Leeds, I think, or Leeds this weekend and then Leeds next week. Uh, mm. So, yeah, Tottenham are in a really good position to attack the end of the season. They just need to, you know, keep that consistency, keep the levels. And what might help them is just having that know-how of what happened last season in the final few months of managing to get over the line when it did look like Arsenal would be securing fourth up until, you know, that 3-0 defeat at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Newcastle have had a fantastic season so far. Don't get me wrong. They're very much banging the mix for a top four finish and I think Eddie Howe and that will be, you know, intent on achieving that as well as probably winning uh, the Carabao Cup final at the end of this month. But uh, they've had four draws from their last five games, you know, don't have this experience in the top four race in the final few months. So that could potentially uh, prove pivotal. All Tottenham needs to do, you know, is just keep winning the games, just keep upping the pressure on their top four rivals. And hopefully come May, it will be Champions League football for a second successive year. Yeah, yeah, this is, I just feel like this is the beginning of something. Um this felt like a match when Spurs were very much saying, okay, let's go for it. It was, I mean, Conte said it last year after the United game, I think it was, and, and he very much said, okay, now we go for the top four. Now I've said to the players, this is what we go for. And I feel like Spurs now can say, okay, right, first half's done the season. We've got over this kind of real hump that we were in, conceding so many goals. Let's Let's now push on and... Like I say, the fixture schedule is laid out for them now to really build some momentum. They've got seven of the te- the next nine Premier League matches are against teams in the bottom eight. I mean, that's a huge run of, on paper, easier fixtures. And the two fixtures they've got at home are against a Chelsea team that, you know, let's be honest, they're not the Chelsea team they were. They're still gelling in the 75 new signings they've made in the last two windows. Um, the other game is against Brighton, but you know Spurs won away there. And if you if you want to if you pick anywhere to play them, you're going to pick at home. So I do think those nine games are are really big. And then right that leads you all the way to the end of April when you've got the triple whammy um, of Newcastle United and then Liverpool, uh, which is a big three games. But then the final kind of month of the season brings uh, um, home games against Palace and Brentford and away at Villa and Leeds. So, and that's not even taken into account. You've got AC Milan home and away in the Champions League and AC Milan are having an absolute mare at the moment. They haven't won a game since January the 4th. They've lost five of the last seven games. Uh, they're sixth now in Serie A. 
Um, then you've got the FA Cup, where we know Wrexham or uh, Sheffield United await on Sunday, March the 1st. You know, that's got to represent a great chance to potentially finally, <laughs> please, end the silverware drought. Because you look at that, most of the Premier League teams have gone. I think it's only the Manchester clubs are the big two big boys left in it with Spurs, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, very much yeah. the case. Yeah, it's it's there for Tottenham to have a real good crack at this FA Cup and, you know, hopefully go all the way this year. Yeah, and I mean, obviously they've just shown they can beat City, so they can do that. Man U, you know, I think they can beat Man U on their day as well. Man U, of course, are far more improved, but I wouldn't say that Spurs would go into that game or if they had to face either of those two, fearing them. It's just almost a case of beating the other teams that they've got to beat as well. Um, but really, it, that that really does represent a chance. Um, it's so funny the way things have turned around. You know, what would you say about maybe a month back? It was It was such doom and gloom. And you were kind of worried about the direction the team was going in, what was going to happen next. Obviously, all the question marks over Conte's future as well. And you kind of thought, I can't see how they're together enough to really turn this around. And I just feel like the last few games have really shown that, okay, actually, the adversity of some of the situations that have happened have maybe forged an even stronger unit. And that's why you get performances like yesterday. Um, And I mean, the squad is the strongest I think it's been in Conte's time. Um, you might kind of question whether certain players are stronger than others, but what I would say is for Antonio Conte, it is now a squad where he is happy to bring any of those players onto the pitch at any time. And that's something I don't think we could have said before about him. I mean, last night's squad, it was I don't think they had a single injury, and yet they still couldn't get Lucas, Pape Matasar, or Jaffet Tanganga on the bench. It was that strong. You know, he's got a bench now where in the past we've had no attacking options and they've had to look at um, academy players. And now he's got Dan Juma, Richarlison, uh, Lucas to come back on there as well. He's got three changes for each of the three attacking players as well. Um, And, you know, just little things like even Davinson Sanchez coming off the bench last night. I thought he came in and was really solid. I know it was only eight minutes or so, but he came in, slotted in, and never looked like anyone was getting past him. And it'd be interesting to see what they do with Romero out. You'd presume Sanchez comes in. He's probably earned the chance. You know, there's a, would he maybe go a bit wild and go a bit like what Carl Walker's done for City? Could he maybe play Emerson on the right of a back three and bring Porro in? Um Maybe that's a way of getting them both in. Um, there's so many different ways he can go going forward, and that's because he's got a stronger squad. It might not be as strengthened as we wanted in that window, but I do still think it's one of the better squads in the Premier League now. I think with the quality in a lot of the areas, um, and you know, some of these players, maybe the likes of Basuma, who you know he's fallen. Obviously, he's way behind Benton Kerr and Hoybier right now in the pecking order. But this is still one of the best Premier League midfielders of recent years. And I think if he gets a chance, like Emerson has, I think he'll be looking to take it. Um, and there's obviously there's young players in Skip and, and um, Pape Matassar that will be looking for chances. Sessegnon, I think, has still got a part to play. Again, I thought he came on and did well. No one will talk about it because 
you know, I think a lot of people have made their minds up on Sessegnon, but I thought he came on and he pushed City back down the left. They really couldn't kind of keep hammering away down the, their right-hand side because he was pushing them in the other direction. Um, and even Basuma. Basuma did ca- came on and added fresh legs as well. So there's a lot of options there. And I think we've gone from a place where definitely, I mean, I'm just going to use myself as an example rather than speaking for anyone else. I was a bit like, ooh, have they kind of peaked? Are they actually going to get any better this season? And do you know what? Having seen what they've done in the second half of last season, combined with everything else that seemed to be playing out around them, I think Spurs are going to go on a big old run in the second half of this season. And uh, it's so tight now up there. You know, who knows what position they could end up in if they really click into gear now. Yeah. Uh, City last February, the Etihad Stadium was a big turning point in the season, helped them, you know, go on and get a top four finish. And I think come May, we could potentially be looking back at yesterday's win over City as another key moment in the season. I think it's just a case of, you know, being consistent, not dropping the levels, building that momentum. And if Tottenham can go on a winning run, I think they're going to be quite hard to stop in this top four race because I think they've got the know-how of last season as well. And I think when everything's going good and you're winning games, I think you go into games knowing you're going to win, not thinking you're going to win. And hopefully that will uh, be the case because Tottenham has some real quality there. Fingers crossed there won't be any key injuries in the running. But if everything goes to plan, I think Tottenham are going to be quite hard to stop. Right, so it's Leicester up next. A rare 3pm kickoff on a Saturday uh, in the King Power Stadium. Never heard of those. Yeah, well, to be fair, we've had a couple... At the start of the season, the home games, oh, I think did, it was right back at the start, yeah. Saints and Fulham, but they are quite rare when it comes to Tottenham. So a trip to the King Power Stadium was a good uh, last visit there, last January, an entertaining 3-2 win. Hopefully things will be uh, a bit smoother this time and they don't leave it until the <laughs> very last second. But three points is all that matters. It's going to be a bit of a tough game. Leicester haven't had the best of seasons. They looked good prior to the World Cup after a poor start. Looked like they'd got it together, but then coming back into domestic football after the World Cup, things just didn't really go to plan for Brendan Rodgers' team. But they got a really good win at Aston Villa, who've been you know flying under Unai Emery. 4-2 win there at the weekend. So this is going to be a tough game. Tottenham are going to be a at the best, to get all three points at the King Power. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think they have to take every bit of momentum from the City win that they can. I think having Conte back will be another boost, despite kind of half-joking about Stellini doing such a great job. Um, And I think it's one of those games where if Spurs can get a goal early-ish, relatively early in the game... I think then you start to play on the potential fragility of Leicester and their kind of the mental side of the game and, and where games have gone for them this season. You know, they've still got a lot of kind of threat as a team that they can bring to Spurs. And we've seen it. We've seen Leicester give Spurs loads of problems in the past. But if Spurs want to be serious about the remainder of this season, they're going to need to go to places like the King Power and are going to come away with and try to come away with all three points. So, 
yeah, tough game, but hopefully a good one. Do you know what? I'd take a last-minute winner if we have to. I mean, there is another – it was Steven Bergwijn that day, and there is another Netherlands international now with Dan Juma. There's no reason that he can't do it. Um, so I would take that. Just just to come away with three points, whatever the performance, I think would be big. Yeah, very much so. I definitely agree with you. Three points is all that matters at this stage of the season. Not bothered about performances. Just get over the line, get the job done and come away with the three points. For you, who starts at right centre-back then? Because for me, I think as much as we'd like to see Pedro Porro come in and make his debut, I think it'll be Davinson Sanchez at right centre-back. I don't think he's done anything wrong in the games recently. When he's come on, and I think Emerson must certainly deserve to keep his place in the team. Yeah, I think Conte often goes for the safer option. So I think it probably will be Davinson Sanchez. I am intrigued to see what Emerson would be like on the, the right of a back three with Porro. Um, and that was one of the things Ben Davies really pointed out about Emerson was the amount of headers he won at the back post, like crucial headers. Um, there was one, wasn't there? In the first half, we got absolutely clattered after he did it. But he yes. was, and you know, on the right of a back three, that's something you're going to have to do as well a lot. So, yeah, there might be something that maybe Spurs could, or Conte could work with Emerson on, you know, giving him that little bit of extra versatility. So, who knows? Maybe that might be a decision that comes into their thinking. But I, I think Davinson Sanchez, because he was also um, good against Preston, yeah. big Dav. He had a good game that. And I wonder whether they'll feel that they should reward him for that with this start. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd imagine it would be Sanchez at this point in the week. Yep. Right. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. Thank you as ever for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.